similar uh, thought process that Paul makes for us. Oh boy, there we go. Just mass exodus. Everyone just left. If you're watching at home, there's nobody left here. I'm just, just kidding, just kidding. So last week, um, kind of near the end, we started to, uh, as we talked about this idea of meat sacrifice to idols, and, and of course, you know, that's not something specific that we deal with in our culture, but as we process through what Paul was talking about there, his whole point, and, and it continues over these next couple of chapters, is recognizing that while we have certain rights, if you want to call them that, if we understand things from a, a good theological standpoint, we can think that we deserve or we should or we have the right to do something. And Paul argues the whole text that that's just a horrible argument. That rather you should be more focused on other people, on their spiritual journey. And, and the reality is that all of us start from nothing in our understanding of God. And we need to be encouraged and brought forth and taught and edified. And, and that takes time. And if we only are concerned about ourselves and we don't consider our brothers and sisters, and, and Paul talks about it in the sense of weaker, uh, but as I mentioned last week, that word maybe has some different connotations in our time, is rather to think of it more in a sense of immature or young in their faith, is that should be our priority, not ourselves but others. And as we got to the end of, of the sermon, I kind of made a practical application. I got a little bit confrontational, sorry. Uh, but I think it, it's true. I think the scriptures are, are clear in that sense, is so often we have allowed over this last year, we've allowed this, the disease that shall not be named, I heard it say yesterday, for those who are Harry Potter fans, uh, is this idea of COVID has has consumed our thought process far too much too often. And in how we're going to respond, we've gotten angry and, and rude and, and sometimes even very uh, aggressive towards those who have a different opinion. And, and my challenge to us was, do not let those external circumstances, though this is a reality that we face, it's an important thing that's in front of us and we do need to deal with it, but don't let that become the way in which we determine our relationships with our brothers and sisters in the Lord because there's always going to be a new circumstance. There's always going to be a new challenge, a new difficulty. What we need to do is care for, uh, especially when we disagree, right? If, if we just Treat others who disagree with us uh, with contempt. The scriptures don't speak very highly of that. And so we in our time, and, and I don't want you to get the idea that COVID's the only issue. The principle here goes into all kinds of areas of our lives. Is if we, you know, politics could be the other big one. Right? Is if you disagree with me on this, I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to isolate myself from you because the beliefs that you have about that, and we start to fight and get angry, and all of those things should be secondary issues underneath the Lordship of Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to understand here. Our individual freedoms, our individual rights, all of those things, they all should be secondary, and our primary focus should be on first honoring the Lord, and then second honoring our brothers and sisters. Philippians chapter 2, 
Verses 3 and 4 say, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's about as simple a way as we can put it. Uh, Theologian Michael Green wrote it this way. He said, Freedom is not license to do what I want, but liberation to do what I ought. That's, That's so aptly put, is our own freedoms, if we think that they're about us and giving us freedom to do the things that we want to do, we've kind of lost sight of what freedom is even meant to be, especially in a theological standing. Culture all around us impacts the way in which we process our faith. And and we talked about this last week, and we looked at the church in Corinth being a very polytheistic um, culture, and all of a sudden now becoming there's one one true God. And they had to struggle through some of the maturity and and learning what that all meant and, and how it existed. For us, maybe it's not a polytheistic issue that we struggle with, but perhaps individualism, perhaps materialism. You know, we could, we could fill in the blank with kind of whatever issue that we want, but these things creep into our thinking, creep into our thought process, and all of a sudden, very small, little minute details start to become huge, huge things. I'm reading a couple of books uh, for seminary right now, and, and they br- bring in these mediation teams to kind of deal out with some conflict. And of course, some is very serious and, and important. But often what you find is that the biggest issue, seemingly, obviously, there's deeper issues. But seemingly, it comes across as the types of music that they like to play. Whether you preach from a pulpit, which we have at the back, or music stand at the front, whether the color of the carpet is this color or that color. And churches get divided and start fighting. And of course, we know that those aren't actually the issues. But when we start to elevate our own preferences, our own desires, and we start to think that I deserve to get what I want, and my preferences should be met, then we start fighting with others because our our whole idea has been shifted from what's true and what's real and what's important to what I think I deserve. Richard Pratt, who I've quoted lots throughout this uh, series, has a commentary on Corinthians. And when he gets to this section, uh, he explains it in a very unique way. And he's an American, and he comes at it from an American perspective, but I don't think really we're all that different in this regard. This is what he writes. He says, It's almost a universal belief among Americans that we should be able to do whatever we want so long as we don't hurt anybody. I grew up in America, and one of the most sacred words of American ideals is the word freedom. In America, our freedom includes the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, the premium we place on personal liberty often does not disappear when we become followers of Christ. In fact, we often transfer our freedom ideals into our faith. We think we should follow Christ any way that we see fit so long as we don't hurt anyone. And that's just the unfortunate reality that so often has come in. Is my rights become more important than the person across from me? The person in the chair beside me or the row next to me or in front of me or behind me? And and we start to think that because I'm certain that I'm right about this issue, I should get to do whatever I want. And, And we just start to push people away. All at the cost of something that we think is, is really great. Freedom is, is good. Freedom is good. But again, freedom is not elevating myself 
to the place where I can do whatever I want, but to do whatever I ought to do. In Romans chapter 12, very familiar uh, passage, the, verse, the first verse, right? This idea of uh, being a living sacrifice. We know that verse so well, but the verse that follows after that explains that we have a renewed heart, but also that we're supposed to have a renewed and a transformed mind. And so when we come to faith in Christ, the things of, of our culture and our world, they should no longer be the way in which we interpret things. And freedom is no different in that regard. Not at the expense of anybody else, but the freedom to do what we should so that others can grow. And I know I've kind of probably said too much about this and, and harped on this issue too long. But for Paul, this was a deeply concerning thing, and he needed to address it specifically with food offered to idols. He'll get back to idolatry and food and some other things. But here in this chapter, he starts to go on a kind of a different direction, and it almost seems like it's a, like a rabbit hole that he goes down. But it's not. He's focusing on this very, very same idea about the freedoms, the rights, the things that, that maybe we think we should have. But rather than focusing on the freedoms, focusing on the people, the individuals that are in our lives, the ones that we are called to minister to, to love and to care for, and to make sure that our concern for them is far greater than our concern for ourselves. So let's read uh, verses 1 to 14 of chapter 9. Paul writes this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, if you notice in those verses we're not going to count them, but do you see how many questions he asks? And they're almost all in a sense of rhetorical where you know the answer to this. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Is Paul's asking over and over and over all these various questions to try and help them understand that the way in which they're living goes completely 
counter to what they should know about faith and about the gospel and what it means and how to relate to one another. Now, as I said, it it can sound like at the beginning of this chapter that Paul's kind of going down this weird rabbit hole. Am I not free? Am I not apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Well, if you remember back a few chapters, uh, this kind of question had already been asked. And what it seems like is that when Paul went to Corinth and he planted this church and, and there were, um, as it kind of grew, Paul left and continued on his various missionary journeys. And some of the people who came into the church came in with this sense of, who's Paul? What authority does he have over us? He shouldn't be able to tell us anything. And so there were kind of two divisions within the church, those who, who still looked on Paul with authority, knowing that he was sent by God to them and that he preached to them this gospel and that he was a, a man of understanding and wanted to share these things so that they would understand who God is. But then there were others that went, we already, we already know now. And, and really, the first few chapters are all about this arrogance and this knowledge. We know. We know everything. We understand everything that we need to know. We have no need to be taught by anybody else. Well, as we discussed last week in chapter 8, verse 2, Paul says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Right? If you think you know, you don't actually know what you think you know. Is how true uh, that is. So let's deal with Paul's apostleship because I just want to show you a couple of things that are really interesting here. Some arguing that he is not an apostle. So the word apostle uh, is the Greek word that literally translates as sent one. Now if you read in the book of Acts, what you find is kind of a list of qualifications for someone to be referred to as an apostle. And one of those things was witnessing the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, that they actually encountered Jesus post-resurrection. And so that was something that people argued, well, Paul, you never saw that. You weren't there. But as you keep reading in the book of Acts, in chapter 9, what you find is that as Paul, at that point, being called Saul still, as he's going to Damascus to persecute the church, who does he have an encounter with? The risen Lord Jesus. He sees him on the road to Damascus. So that, that's why he says there, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He's making clear, I have. Am I not an apostle? Well, another aspect of apostleship, as I said, is this being sent by someone. So here's what we read in Acts 9.15. God says this to Ananias about Saul. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Literally, God says to Ananias, go, you need to explain to Paul what's going on because I am choosing him because I'm going to send him to the nations to declare the gospel. He's literally being sent by God. Right? So there's, there's no question of it. And that's where he gets to ultimately, he says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not apostle, at least I am to you. Right? He's just making this logical statement. Is the only reason that you came to faith? Well, I shouldn't say it that way. Because the only reason they came to faith is the grace of Jesus. But Paul showed up in Corinth of his own obedience to God and planted this church so that others came to faith in the gospel. And he's just logically saying, I came here and I 
shared the gospel and you responded and a church was planted because God used me to do that. And so even if those that don't know me, that, that want to argue about my apostleship, well, they don't really have any right to do that because you yourselves, the church in Corinth, you prove it. One translation says, you are the certificate of my apostleship. So the question now moving forward from this becomes, why is Paul asking all these questions and, and why is he going to talk about all these rights and then also argue why he didn't actually use any of these rights but try and defend these rights? And unfortunately, I'm not actually going to answer that question today. We're going to answer that next week. But we're going to look through all of these things because there's a, there's a lot in them that really kind of guide us towards this conversation. So he says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Now here's a quick grammar thing for you. When we read a verse like that, sometimes in English, we assume that that means what is about to come is going to be his defense. But actually, if you go into the Greek here, this could be translated as either what comes after or what comes before. And this is where how we read the narrative of whatever we're reading becomes so important. This is the defense to those who would examine me is, is referring to what he has just said. Not what's about to come, but what he has just said. Now he's going to come to the implications of the things that he says. So he says, do we not have the right to eat and drink or to take along a believing wife? Seems like a very strange thing to say, doesn't it? Like who's going to argue you don't have the right to eat and drink? Like nobody's, nobody's going to say that. So, so let's instead go ahead to verse 7, and we're actually going to work backwards uh, to see the narrative of what Paul's trying to say. Right? So he uses this example. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense, or who plants a vineyard without eating of its own fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? What's the point? Is that those who work at their living make their living from that living? That seems pretty simple, right? Now, for us, maybe there's it's not as simple and cut and dry as that. But if you go back a generation or two and you think of those uh, of our families who grew up on the farm and they did not interact with very many other people, the, the living that they employed, that's how they fed their children. That's how they were fed. That's how they cared for one another. It wasn't maybe as simple as you walk into work and you punch your little card in and then you punch your card out and then every two weeks you get a little paycheck. It, that's maybe more normal for us. But for most of history, it's more been this type of a thing. And Paul's simply trying to argue that those who work in a certain way materially provide for themselves out of that. And that's just a completely logical thing. So if we then go back into now, what is he trying to tell us? Do we not have the right to eat and drink? So materially what he's saying is the church in Corinth is actually responsible to materially take care of whoever is ministering to that church. So they are the ones to provide for, materially speaking, food and water. And so this idea of bring along a believing wife, is no one's arguing that you can't get married. What Again, it goes back to this idea of bringing your wife or your family, in that sense, along with them. And Paul's saying, should the church not care for that family, for that spouse, and helping them as they minister? In 1 Timothy 
Paul argues that those who labor in preaching and teaching should be paid by the church. It was not a new argument. Paul says these kinds of things often. In one section in 1 Timothy, he says that those who preach and teach are worthy of a double reward. Paul is trying to elevate this and say, look, this is important work. And so you as the church, you need to care for those that come and to teach. I know this sounds really like self-seeking here. We'll get there in a minute, but I promise that's not my point. That is not my point. It is Paul's point, and that is worth stating, and we'll, we'll get there in a second. When we get, um, sorry, notice now in verse 8. He, he has made an argument. He's logically supported that argument, but now he goes back to the Old Covenant back to the Hebrew Scriptures to prove that argument. So he's not just using logic, but he's now using uh, what God has already said. Do I say these things on human authority? Implication is no, I don't. Does the law not say the same? For it is written, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So he's quoting Deuteronomy 25.4 here. And if you, if you know the text, what's happening here is the ox, I, I, I wish I had a picture to show you, but that would have required more foresight than apparently I have. Um, but what happens is the ox kind of like goes around this peg. I've done a lot of research on this, yeah, obviously. There's a peg, he walks around and he tramples the grain, right? And he's crushing it. And, and people w- wanted to muzzle the ox because you got to protect your profits, right? Don't let him eat what he's doing. And, and God says, no, don't muzzle him but allow him to be able to do that. Allow him to eat it. But then, so Paul says, is it for ox? For the oxen that God is concerned? No, it's, it's for the people. He speaks for our sake. The plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. So some argue here, Paul's taking this out of context. God's talking about the oxen, not the people. Well, Again, look at the narrative of the text. Paul's arguing that people deserve to be taken care of for this role, even though he's about to argue right at the end, then we'll talk about this, that he never even used any of these rights that he had anyway. So he's not self-seeking here because he actually didn't benefit from it at all. But he's trying to show this principle to them. Uh, Richard Pratt explains it this way. Paul knew that the law pertained to oxen, but... Also, that a deeper moral principle undergirded this law. He summarized this principle in this way. When the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. God cares deeply for all of his creation. But remember, when God creates all this, as he goes through the days of creation in Genesis, he creates man and he puts his image stamped into man, and then he says, go and subdue and rule. And part of that means to care for God's creation. And so, yes, God is concerned about the oxen and the animals because as we subdue and care for the earth, he wants us to be kind and not cruel. And so, yes, God is very concerned for the oxen, but he's not only concerned for the oxen. That those of us, that the roles that we have been given, that we are to be responsible for every part of it. And we are to care for all that are involved 
in the process of that. And that includes our families. But I want to take a little side tangent here for a second. In verse 11, he says this, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So now we get into two different things. And this is something that when Shayla and I were in youth ministry, we really tried to hammer home this with parents, and I would really challenge them. Is I think we're, we're usually better at the material than we are at the spiritual, just in general speaking. Is as parents, we want to provide for our kids, so we set up the little RESP, right? Or we set up the, the education funds, or we make sure that they have everything material that they need so that they are set up for success in the best possible way, and that's good, and we should do that. But if we do that and do not show them what a relationship with Jesus looks like, then we've completely and utterly failed. Because the physical and the material should never, ever be as important or more important to us than the spiritual. That is God's desire, that we would be in relationship with him, that we would be modeling and showing our children what does it look like to be in a relationship with Jesus? What does it look like to pray to God? What does it look like to serve others? And why do we do these things? We should be doing the material and the physical. Yes, absolutely. But so much more so the spiritual. And that's what Paul's arguing here now. He's saying, look, we came to you and we shared with you the message of the gospel, which is far more important than just the material things that you have. So if we shared that with you, should not you share this with us? Now again, he's not trying to put it in this way of like manipulation. Well, I gave you this, so you should give me this. He's trying to help them see the whole picture of everything. That when we come into family, when we come into the family of God, we become exactly that family who love and care for one another and serve one another. And so when you see someone in need in your family, what do you do? You figure out a way to make it work. You figure out a way to help them. And and that's why... I asked Lori this morning as she was doing the announcements that, that if those if anyone's in quarantine and you need something, all you need to do is ask because there's loads of people here who love and care for you and want to help. Why? Because we're the family of God. Why? Because Jesus says that the world will know that we are disciples by the love that we have for one another. We want to elevate our relationships among each other so that people can see and know that we love to serve one another. And, and guess what? Sometimes we disagree on a lot of things. And yet, we still want to love and we still want to serve. We don't only want to help those who help themselves, but we want to care for those who cannot care for themselves. And, and this is just a simple, simple reality. Sometimes we're too proud to ask, but the reality is, is every single one of us at some point have needs. There's nobody that's above that. There's nobody that has never had a need and was able to always do everything all on their own. Doors are opened, especially when you think about it, as your kids grow up, as you, you as a parent know how often you served for the sake of your children. And you sacrificed so that they could. It's the same thing now within the church, and Paul's so concerned that they would see and that they would understand that. Now notice verse 12, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? 
So what's he saying? Well, obviously, the Corinthian church is doing some of this for some people, and Paul's simply trying to say, look, those who labor in the preaching and the teaching and the ministering to you, you have an obligation to care for. Why? Because this is how God has designed it. This is how God has put things together so that we would care for all of this. But now look at this. This is where it kind of changes. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So again, all of these verses exist him saying, here are the rights that we have. And he's not arguing that you shouldn't do these things. He's actually arguing that you should, but that they haven't even used any of those rights. So when you think about it in this way, is Paul's not concerned about him and Barnabas at all here. He's concerned about those who come after. When you read through the New Testament letters that Paul writes, what you learn is that he was a a tent maker, and I'm not sure completely how literally we should be taking that or not, but the idea is that he was able to work uh, for his own living so that as he planted these churches, he did not impose any uh, difficulties along their journey as becoming a church from a financial perspective. He's saying, I worked hard so that you would hear the gospel, so that you would respond to the gospel, so that these churches could be planted, and I didn't want to add any extra burden to you at all, and God allowed me to be able to do that. But that's not the long-term design. The long-term design, Paul argues, is that all of these things, they are rights that the church should be caring for each other. Now again, next week we're going to clarify a lot of, so why does Paul not use any of these rights and how is that okay and why is his argument okay if he doesn't even use the same logic in his own life? And we'll talk about all of those things. But for Paul, he's trying to get the the church in Corinth to understand that the relationships with your fellow brothers and sisters are vitally important and you need to care for one another. Now, Like I said, this is not a self-seeking sermon here, though you could very easily see how this could be, right? Is uh, my, my, my annual evaluation has come up. So let me preach from this text this morning, right? Like it could be very easy to do that. I would hope it would be too awkward to ever do that, but it'd be very easy to do that. You could twist some of these things to try and get them to say things that they're not actually saying. But the truth of it, is found very simply in verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. That's Paul's point. Now, I do want to say a few things from a personal standpoint, but they're not, they're not my annual review is here and so bump up the salary. That's not the idea right, is actually Shayla and I over the last number of weeks, we've had a few conversations back and forth, and, and the, the long and the short of it is it, it always ends up in this place. We are so blessed and fortunate to live where we live and to minister to the people that we minister to. While Paul here is kind of arguing about how the Corinthians are not doing a very good job at caring for those who they should be caring for, I, I just want to say the opposite to you guys is that we are so lucky to be part of a church like this. 
We are so thankful that God has called us here, that everything that we could possibly want is provided for us. We have had some some very difficult material years in ministry in the past. And at this point, sometimes we find ourselves going, man, like, it's such a blessing to be here. And and I I don't want to say knock on wood or something like that, right? Who knows what's going to happen in the future? All I'm trying to say is that we uh, are so thankful to each of you. And that's not just those of you who are here, those of you who are at home as well, is we are so thankful that we get to be part of this church and this family. I say this every month, and and this Wednesday again is our board meeting coming up. Churches are being just torn apart inside in today's world with what's happening with COVID and with people's responses to that. And our church has been so united, even though amongst that boardroom, there are many different opinions on what they, what they would prefer that we would do or how we would respond. And yet we always at the end come together with this unified idea that we exist to serve Christ and to make him known. And we will continue doing that to the best of our abilities. And if I have to lay aside what I think about this one little area for the greater good of the community, then that's what I'll do. I'm so, so thankful for that. Is when I come home from those board meetings, it wasn't just fights and arguments and going, how am I going to deal with this and stress and anxiety. It's what a pleasure to be a part of such a godly group of people that just want to serve and love Jesus. Now, real quick, because our heads get big real easy, don't they? Is I'm not trying to say that we have it all figured out or that we're perfect. Not by any means. I'm simply trying to say and clarify that as I read through this text, that when I read through this, I don't come at it from a a context of of thinking that as a pastor, man, my church is not taking care of me. Like I'm not not being cared for and my needs are not being met. I read through this and I go, man, I, I hurt and empathize for so many people who are in this situation, but I am not. And I'm so grateful and so thankful for that. And I just think it might be good for you as a church family to hear that. And I'm so thankful. We as a family are so thankful. And and again, that goes far beyond material, right? That's not really my point, though, that in this text is a little bit of it. And so I do want to say that, is we are so grateful to be part of this church. So the questions that we now are going to look at and, and actually answer next week Why is Paul arguing about all of these things when he doesn't do them anyway? Why are these things so important? And I'm just going to give you a pre-answer in this sense, is because people are important to God. God has created us in his image, that we would honor him, that we would be his representatives to the world about what it means to have Jesus in your life and how you can live that out. And so as we consider our own individual rights, may we consider far more importantly the health and the growth of our fellow brothers and sisters because that's what we're called for. And just as a side note, what I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too over the years, is that those who focus only on themselves don't actually end up any happier. In fact, usually they end up in the opposite, more stressed more anxious because they're holding tight to everything that they have and they don't want anybody else to have input on that. 
I once had somebody say it this way. He said, if everything that I own actually isn't mine anyway, then I really won't hold anything very tightly and it won't matter to me if something gets taken from me. What a great attitude to have, hey? Now, again, I'm not saying that that means you don't lock the doors to your car because anybody can have it and just take it and that's fine, no big deal. There are implications to when, you know, things get taken. But if we recognize that everything is God's in the first place, and if we recognize that nothing that we have is because we made it, we did it with our own hands, but because God was gracious to us and giving it to us, then we'll start to have a far less self-material-focused uh, church and world. But we'll start to look at it with this context of, man, I just want to help. I just want to serve. I just want to love, and I just want to care for that's what Paul is saying to us. And again, this morning, I want to say thank you that this church has done such a wonderful job in that, in the time that we've been here. Let's pray. God, as we read through verses like this, and as we consider the implications to these verses, would you remind us over and over and over that it's not about me, but that it's about the exaltation of Jesus and caring for your people. And so God, would you give us wisdom, even this, this Wednesday as our board meets again, we thank you for the unity that we continue to share and the focus on what is most important. But God, for each of us as we consider in our own lives, how do we interact with people around us? How do we interact with our coworkers and our friends? How do we interact with those who completely disagree with us on so many avenues? Would you give us the strength, the wisdom, the words to say that we might show people that we love them dearly and we want to care for them regardless of whether we agree or disagree on things? God, would you give us the humility that we need to not elevate our own desires and wants, but to look to others as, as we started this, this morning with. Let us not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. In humility, would we consider others more important than ourselves? And as we live that way through the power of the Holy Spirit, would people see the gospel being lived out tangibly? And would they say, I, I need that? I need to be part of a community that doesn't care about themselves but cares about the whole. So God, we pray these things. As we continue to study this text next week, would you give us wisdom to understand uh, these, these rights and, and what it means to serve one another and, and where sometimes and perhaps often we need to let go of our rights and not be so concerned with what we deserve or what we think we deserve, but rather would we focus on others. God, we thank you that Jesus came to this earth and that he humbled himself, that he gave up the throne room in heaven so that he could come and that he could die on the cross for us. May that example of humility, may that impact us and make us live our lives in a very different way. God, we are so grateful for all that you're doing in our lives. Would you go with us this week and would you impart upon our hearts the need to care for those that we interact with each day. We love you. Amen.
Again, as always, it's been a pleasure to be with you this morning. We look forward to next week. And if you do have any needs or any concerns, especially if you're in quarantine uh, over the next few days, just let us know and we will make sure to help you as best we can. Have a wonderful week.